Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm your host Miller and we talk about games here and important stuff relating to them, the usual. Uh, first off, uh, please like, uh, comment, subscribe, leave five star reviews, play on your streaming platform of choice. Uh, today um, I've got first off a few like channel updates etc and for the podcast and that. And then it's going to be the gaming news, the shorter bits, maybe the good stuff and dates and that. And then there's the the Western gaming stuff, which is like the big major news that you can't miss. Uh, most of which involving Square Enix in some way, which is uh, unsurprising, but also doing this episode earlier than the two weeks. Partly to catch up on uh, the times I've missed, but also to accommodate all this massive Square Enix news that you just can't fit into like an episode in two weeks time because... More stuff will happen, it always does, that's how this stuff works. I'm also planning to do more uploads to my YouTube. I'm trying to stick to like a two weeks, maybe at least one video every two weeks, but I might look into increasing that possibly. But one thing I am planning to do for Pride Month is, in SNG by the way, is to do like an LGBT games recommendation video. So I'm going through like the queer games I've got, Think about that and playing a few more because I actually dug into my Steam library again recently and I found that I have a few things on there that I got years ago but I forgot I had and may as well play them now especially because since then like the queer stuff's grown some of it's even come to consoles which is really cool and this is going to what I've been playing so I need to back up from that and start on the news so um let's begin so first off, uh, some news relating to NFTs, and this isn't specifically exclusive to gaming, but in terms of NFT sales in general, they have collapsed by up to 90% as of late, which is fantastic news because fuck NFTs, fuck environmental damage, and fuck rich people grifting it to earn money and well, not scam people because there's been lots of scams of NFTs. I think at one point there was like, 100 million NFTs were stolen just other things. It's just a lot of crap and I'm glad that it's just clearly showing that people just don't give a shit. It's just one of these things where it's clearly made for people with too much money and that's the audience is attracting as well as the criminals and the scammers who deliberately want to scam these rich people to get money off them and it's just a whole mess and just stay the hell away from it. And it's showing and that's great. Now onto gaming dates and stuff. Uh, Kuro no Koseki uh, coming to PS5 in Japan on July 29th. Uh, this is a Falcon basically porting that game to Japan, which they released last year for PS4, ahead of the release of Kuro no Koseki 2, which is coming out in September. Basically, the arc of the Trails games we've not gotten at all in any, la- in, in any language outside of Asia yet. Um, also, it is coming to PS5 and PS5 and PC in Asia via Clouded Leopard Entertainment, which is a company that's basically porting as much stuff as they can in the East to get it out there. But for some reason, those ports aren't being used for the Western releases, so NICE are doing their own, which um, is a bit strange, but I'm guessing it's licensing. It's a shame because Cold Steel 1 and 2 on Switch actually exists in Asia. You can go onto the shop and buy it, but you can't get it in English for some reason, which is a bit strange, but yeah. And if it does come to the West, or more to the point, when Kuro no Koseki comes to the West, um, this PS5 version will likely come over day one. So, especially by then, like, once they're done with, like, Hajimari, which will 
supposed to be next year. It'll be 2024 when it comes over. And it's just like, yeah, the PS5 will be more relevant by that point in terms of Japanese RPGs. Because you can get pretty much any Japanese RPG at the moment on other platforms, especially PS4. So you don't need a PS5 at the moment. Next one, uh, R-Type Tactics 1 and 2 remakes announced by Granzella for a Japanese release. No dates or anything like that yet. Um, these were originally turn-based strategy role-playing games for the PlayStation Portable. And with the way the PSP goes, if it's an RPG on the PSP, the later it releases, the more it won't come to the West. And that was a case for R-Type Tactics 2, because the first R-Type Tactics did come to the West, uh, also known as R-Type Command. I believe in the US it was called that, in Europe it was called R-Type Tactics. I never played it, but I am interested in these, because, well, they're mechs and R-Types and stuff like that, so it's going to be cool. And they're going to be bundled as a single release, like the Langrisser 1 and 2 remake, which came out like last year, I think, for the PS4 and the Switch in the West, so I'm hoping these are short and sweet, like those games, even though I've not played them yet, but who cares. And yeah, that's going to be cool. Atlas also announced the latest Persona news. So, yes, they had an April announcement that might not be complete shit, but still kind of disappointing. Uh, Atlas are announcing a Persona series concert. Persona Super Live Peace Sound Wish 2022 Crossing Journey. And it's going to be from October 8th to 9th at Makihari Mese in Shiba. It's basically the another concert like i know the last time we did a concert they announced um the persona dancing 3 and 5 and persona q2 and other things but it's just like i know a lot of people are speculating that atlas will actually announce stuff at this event but it's just like you should have just announced things throughout the year because the announcements so far have largely been pretty shit like ultimax coming to modern consoles is good although in the west it's digital only and there's no English language in the Asian releases, so that's pretty mute unless you want to really want to get it digital, which um, I imagine a lot of people into Persona won't want to. So um, aside from that, there isn't really much going for the anniversary. I mean, there were some other merchandise and stuff announced as well, which um, honestly I don't care about. Uh, one of which was actually Persona branded mouthwash. Really? It's fucking mouthwash. Who cares about Persona fucking mouthwash when there's like Persona 4 Golden and other things that need to come to modern platforms. We don't need fucking mouthwash. And then it's also like NFTs damaging the environment to have all this consumerist merc too. So that's the thing. And in more positive Persona related news, Persona 4 Golden on PC is now officially Steam Deck verified. So uh, yippee, you can now play one of the best RPGs of all time on another portable console, which is incredible. So yeah, if Persona 4 Gold never comes to Switch, there's the Steam port as a viable alternative. Plus it's also quite cheap as well, so you know, definitely jump on Persona 4 Golden if you're getting a Steam Deck. Vision Novel news now, uh, there's not much. The one and only bit of Vision Novel news that's noteworthy this week. Uh, a game called Senrin Banker Thousand Colours of Love is coming to Switch in English and Japanese on the 26th of May. Now, a lot of people won't know what this game is. I don't know too much about it, but I do know about the developer a bit. And the last few years, this developer called Yuzusoft has really been putting out a lot of their games in the West via other companies and things like Semra Bunker. I think the most one of the most recent ones was like Sabbath of the Witch and a bunch of other ones, which um, I've not really 
like I don't really know the release order and stuff because a lot of it is like PC only on Steam via likes of Nekonian and Sekai Project etc and it's kind of weird seeing that these games come over and then now it's like oh here's a Switch port of one and the last time they did a Switch port was apparently over 10 years ago on the PSP uh, I'm, I'm interested in trying out one of these games because I'm like I like playing VNs especially from these companies that you don't tend to see much of and it'll be interesting to see if this game's actually any good or if this developer's actually like something I'd vibe with I'm not sure uh, this port is by Nekonian who published the majority of Ubisoft games in the west on Steam and they also did Neko, um, not Neko Para, uh, Aokana as well, by the way. That actually came to consoles via PQ, but with this release, they're actually doing it themselves. So it'll be digital only, but there'll be no physical at the time of uh, recording this. So maybe one will come later. And I feel like if it doesn't come physically, I probably won't get it myself. Like, if I'm going to play a game like a Moege game, if I'm going to not like it, I'd rather be able to get rid of it for some extra money, because, yeah. And yeah, who knows, maybe this game will be good. And hopefully Nekunian will have a lot more ports of their games, or at least their translations will appear in other versions, like Hello Lady, for example, came out at the very start of this year, and that already has a Vita version from Dramatic Create, and hopefully they'll do a Switch port in the future. And now on to part two, which is the more longer Western AAA stuff, and uh, some discussion, and I'm going to take out the, the non-Square Enix related thing first. Uh, the state of New York is suing Activision Blizzard and specifically highlighting Bobby Kotick. And they allege that Kotick rushed to secure the takeover of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft to basically get away from his misconduct to Activision Blizzard. Uh, this was filed by the New York City Employees Retirement System and Pension Funds for the city's teachers, police and firefighters, which is uh, actually a shareholder of Activision Blizzard. And this may sound surprising, but it does happen, like, I know in the UK, in England, there are privatised water companies, and what I believe, yeah, these couple of them are actually got partially owned by an Australian, like, state in one in a similar firm, which is kind of weird, but I mean, there are much weirder things out there, like, I'm not going to go off topic, but if you look into who owns foreign companies, you might be surprised how many of them are actually state-owned arms of other, like, things, like... SNK, for example, being like 96% owned by the Prince of Saudi Arabia's fund now, which is, um, that's a thing, but that's, a, that's just a game-related example, so you might be surprised. But anyway, uh, they demanded lots of documents relating to Activision Blizzard's conduct even before the buyout, and they did it to seek evidence so they could sue them back then. And now they believe that, here's a quote, Given Kotick's personal responsibility and liabilities of Activision's broken workplace, it should have been clear to the board that he was unfit to negotiate a sale of the company, but it wasn't. And yet, yeah, they're basically right to do this. He's a cunt, and he deserves as much as punishment as possible, and Activision Blizzard as a whole. Like, another case of, like, a white man, privileged white man, really rich, and, and needing to get the punishment he deserves, especially from other people who he has wronged even if it's something monetary like the state of New York City's fund. So, all for it. All right, now onto the Square Enix stuff. Uh, first off, uh, just going to briefly summarise the news that most people already know at this point. Square Enix selling most of their Western stuff off to Embracer Group, which is who owns THQ Nordic, Deep Silver, Gearbox, Dark Horse, a whole bunch of other companies. It's basically a decentralised conglomerate, if that makes sense for $300 million in cash and debt-free, 
and upon transactions completion, Bracer will pay it. Uh, what's been sold is Crystal Dynamics, like the Tomb Raider devs, and also Marvel Avengers, rip. Uh, IDOS Montreal and Square Enix Montreal, most likely we change to something online, so the Embracer Montreal or something like that. And 50 back catalogue IPs, including Tomb Raider, Legacy of Kain, Dusex, Thief, and Square, Square Enix have said they're going to keep Square Enix Collective, Outriders, Life is Strange, Just Cause, etc. Those kind of things. So, aside from those three, there might be a few others I've not mentioned they're keeping, but there's what's known publicly, but assume it'll probably all go to Embracer. Uh, they've said in their statement about why they're selling it, they're planning to use the money to invest in NFTs. So I'll come back to the NFT in a bit. But for the IPs and the studios, this is actually good news in general. Like, there is concerns about industry conglomeration, but in this particular case, it's kind of like a lot of people believe that Embracer Group will put them to better use and actually revive them and make new stuff with them, especially along the lines of like Legacy of Kane, Two Sex, and Thief, and Tomb Raider. And to be honest, there is likely a lot of truth in that. Like they have put remasters out over the last few years of other things they've picked up, like the Battle for Bikini Bottom remake, uh, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, and lots of other things. It kind of is good in a way that they'll actually be most likely do something with some of these IPs because there is a lot of demand for this stuff, especially from older generations of gamers so that's good in a way shows in one way that square enix just never gave a shit about western ips that they had they were trying to pander to the western market for years by trying to have these western studios and want to put these things out and then they never really cared much for their japanese stuff that wasn't final fantasy and kingdom hearts and this kind of showed in their unrealistic expectations like oh like it's all 3 million, but it's not profitable and stuff like that. It is a bit silly. Like, this has somewhat changed in the last, like, few years. So, like, all the Mana and Saga remasters, for example. Uh, seeing the HD2D, for example. So, they have moved back towards it in that sense, which is good. And then the West End, it, it has shown mismanagement, which I'm going to touch on in a bit. Because there's more stuff Square Enix related. It'll be a good thing for Square Enix, because... This is basically a major step into forcing them to go back to do what they're actually good at, which is making Japanese games, especially RPGs. Because that's where most of their teams are, that's where it's making the most money, and especially because they know how to duck temper expectations and actually expect stuff to sell properly, and have their expectations set accordingly. Uh, their planned adventures into NFTs, AI, blockchain is going to fail. As I mentioned right at the start, sales have dropped by 90% across the board, it's not going to work out. Throwing away a diamond, which is basically this IDOS stuff, and picking up a rock, which is NFT stuff. Or in the case of a rock, like picking up more like a mount of dirt because that just disintegrates straight away, so it's absolutely fucking useless. The same also applies to the likes of live service games like Marvel's Avengers and Babylon's Fall. It's not exclusively a Japanese thing, so... Analyst David Gibson actually revealed recently that Square actually lost $200 million on Marvel's Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. So these were the most recent games from Eidos Montreal. And likewise, People Can Fly also revealed that Outriders, which is a game that they developed and Square Enix published, hasn't turned a profit at all throughout 2021. So they've received no royalties for it. And as a game that came out like over a year ago, so like early 2021, so that's really bad. Like, 
like if it's a perspective of throwing away a dime picking up a rock but from Square Enix's perspective the studios haven't been profitable for some time they've only just barely broke even so the way they're seeing it they're offloading these studios which I can kind of understand but also it shows that they don't know how to fucking deal with these western games at all and then it also by extension leaks over to Babylon's Fall because although that's a Japanese game it's very much a pandering to the western market in terms of these live services games and that's not paid off that game is basically a even though it's not confirmed yet, that game is extremely unlikely to survive much longer. It's bad. Like, Marvel's Avengers has, like... Like, Marvel's Avengers has actually somewhat done better in that it's got a very small player base that still has some form of activity, but Babylon's Fall is basically... No one. No one's playing it. No one gives a shit about it. It's a piece of shit. And it fucking is, like, terrible. All I need to clarify, this deal still needs to be signed off by regulators, but to be honest, it's probably not going to be much of an issue. And But now people will be paying attention to the Embracer Group. They know the Embracer Group exists. They will be more likely to be like, hmm, I'm going to keep an eye on this company. Like, they originally started off as Nordic Games and then rebranded as THQ Nordic because they actually bought the, the branding for THQ, the original THQ that went bankrupt in like about over 10 years ago. And then went from there, started growing, bought out the likes of Deep Silver, and then changed it to Embracer Group, and still keep going with all these ridiculous acquisitions and stuff. It's a massive conglomerate. It's only going to get bigger. And yeah, there's a... Honestly, Embracer Group's worth a whole video on its own, to be honest. So on to the final portion of the Square Enix news. We have uh, Yuji Naka, and uh, as my uh, autocorrect has done, Balan Wonderful. It's really not wonderful. It's Wonder World, which is also not a Wonder World. It's just really bad graphics world. Uh, basically asserting that Square Enix meddling has ruined it and released in a poor state. That's basically the what happened in like nine, nine words. But it was obviously a bit more than that. So there's a full statement on it that was translated by Cheesemeister Full K. But I'm going to just take some quotes from it because it's way too long to read. And I've already gone for like... Almost about 20 minutes now. So, uh, I was removed as a director of Balan Wonderworld about half a year before release. So I filed a lawsuit against Square Enix. Now that the proceedings are over and I'm no longer bound by company rules, I'd like to speak out. So this was basically a, a week ago, I think. Or just under a week ago. Either way, it was very recent. And he, he believes it's wrong of Square Enix not to value games and game fans, which is a... Honestly, as a Dragon Quest fan who is still salty about the 3DS games and Everkind West, uh, this is totally true. And also, all the other games that they won't release physically in the West. Uh, he claims he was removed by the producer, head of marketing, head of sound, managing director, and human resources. So basically, the dev team turned on him. And, one, and there are two things that he believes happens. Uh, first, when a YouTuber's arranged piano performance of the game music was released in a promotion instead of the original game track, turning the composer into a ghostwriter, I insisted that the original track be released and this caused trouble. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I can see why that would be an issue. So, yeah. And also, it also does the original like composer a disservice as well. Like, just just use the original soundtrack if you want to celebrate it. With arranged stuff, you do it after release with their permission and fucking pay them and give them proper exposure so they can get the actual contracts they deserve as well. So you've shafted the original composer as well as this this arranger. And that applies to Square Enix, not Naka. 
And secondly, he says, according to court documents, Naoto Oshima told producer Noriyoshi Fujimoto that the relationship with developer Arzest, just a breakaway, Arzest made uh, Yoshi's New Island and uh, Hey Pikmin, and I think one other game as well, which uh, was also a 3DS game, but uh, Mario and Sonic 2016, I think, uh, back to Naka, was ruined due to comments I made wanting to improve the game in the face of RSS submitting the game without fixing bugs. Really tweeting, liking, etc. on social media and such was banned. And basically this kind of thing where he couldn't communicate with the fans properly about what happened. And he was trying to basically emphasise, oh, well, let's get, we need to get this game actually done properly. Don't rush it out. And, and there were other things in the text about basically going that the producer and stuff were deciding the schedule be like be quicker than it was and more demanding and stuff and when it wasn't ready which is uh, I couldn't fully process it but that's basically a mess where either way the end result was basically here's Banner and Wonderpiss uh, it looks like shit the demo's terrible the characters have really creepy faces and even the backgrounds have creepy faces the costumes all play the same the platforming is fucking stale it's a piece of shit but we're still releasing it have fun, be grateful, bye-bye. That's basically what happened. And that game is still shit. I mean, I'm unsurprised, and to be honest, although they have to say the word alleged, I think this is probably true, because Square Enix are shit. So, that's the tea on Square Enix. Alright, now on to the final section, which is basically what I've been playing. And this is the part where a lot of people are going to see what I put in the title for this video, assuming I remember to do so during editing and publishing about Nintendo Switch Sports. Uh, I got that uh, last week. Uh, this game is, well, Nintendo Switch Sports. So it's basically Wii Sports on the Switch and without the Miis as much because people have these new avatars, which are also really key, which I like. Uh, I, I've been playing it on and off and um, this game is overall pretty good. I can definitely see why it's not as well liked as people were expecting like more modes and stuff. And golf isn't on the cart that's coming in the autumn. I'm hoping that's been not actually... I'm hoping that's been worked on now is not just being purposely held back. But overall, I do like it. Uh, visually and stuff, it looks good. Uh, character portraits and stuff. As I mentioned before, the models look really cute. I like them. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it because like, I got it primarily because I want to exercise a bit more. And that's basically why I got it. So I've got it. Here's the game on my shelf with a game and the... the a strap which is basically what they all had in Ring Fit Adventure and I'm enjoying it so far I'm exercising a bit which is nice and also bowling is just fun especially online like having this online mode you can play with people is really cool and I love it and that's one reason why I'm glad to have it and yeah yay for the switch and switch ports and I'm hoping eventually I can start playing it with people online that I know personally so get more people playing switch ports and we can play together and it's going to be fucking awesome and I still haven't actually tried football yet. I'm leaving that for a bit because I'm not really a fan of not really into football. Um, at least on the Switch anyway. Uh, Shambara is good as well. But I've mainly been playing bowling because bowling is great. And I will be playing golf when that comes out because golf is good. And especially on the Switch. And it's a good nostalgia trip to Wii Sports, which uh, I haven't played for a while. I'd like to get it. I'd like to try to track down Wii Sports Club, but I know that's like uh, £70 now, which is honestly a bit too much for games which... Uh, you can just buy the cheaper, question mark, better versions on the original Wii. And finally, another game, which um, I finished, is uh, the fan translation for Kamatachi no Yoru, Rene Saize. 
otherwise known in the translation as a Knight of the Kamatachi Rebirth. So this was actually released last December for the PC version of the remake, which uh, this is a 1992 release uh, Spike sound novel. They trademarked the term. They started a series out of it, like the, they made a sequel, another sequel, and uh, The Eleventh Suspect, which is actually released on the Vita and PS3, which is uh, over 10 years ago, but the sequel was never released in the West. Uh, the original Kamatachi no Yoru did get an iOS release, but that was like significantly relocalized to Texas, and you can't even play it anymore on new iPhones, so it's basically irrelevant now. So this way is the best way to play it. Uh, the remake originally came out on the PlayStation Vita, which uh, obviously didn't come worse because it's the PlayStation Vita, and this remake was then ported to PC and released on there, and this patches for that. So this is a little backstory. This game is basically a murder mystery vision novel. It's set in a ski resort where everyone is snowed in. And you play as Toru, who basically goes with his girlfriend, like Mari. Or well, I say girlfriend, it's kind of like implied in the game, but it's basically like a one-sided attraction, or what seems like a one-sided attraction. So that's interesting to see that dynamic, and I kind of prefer that instead of the usual, like, uh, person and crush. It's like there's already the established interest and connection. And which is good, and it makes a refreshing change from like a lot of these like visionals where you play as a cis guy and that. And it's like the, the yeah, I just like it. It's so refreshing, and you get the other characters as well. You get people of all ages, which is really cool, as well from like people who are old, people who are younger, men and women, which is really nice. I just like the variety here. Obviously, not as much a variety as say Danganronpa, but still a nice variety. Uh, what basically happens is you go to the resort, you, after skiing, get there, have dinner, and then someone gets killed. Uh, you start as a murder mystery detective game, and a little twist with this game is that if you fail to like solve the mystery, it progressively like starts a subvert genre. So it goes from murder mystery to actually elements of horror, where at one point you find more people getting killed, and uh, it's um, quite a. Uh, it's quite a twist, and it's actually pretty thrilling. It's actually good. I like that. And then the murder mystery as well. Like, um, there is a protagonist. Uh, I say protagonist because, I mean, all the characters are basically protagonists. There isn't really an antagonist, so to speak. Not in, not in the conventional sense, anyway. And you can then, if you can work out who this person is, because there is the clues in the story, you have to, like, type their name in, and you can either name the protagonist, uh, or you can, like, name other people are there so as well as a killer you got all the other people and like did this person actually kill him did they not kill him and then and it's a lot to deal with and alongside all that stuff you could also put in a joke name like at one point i put in john cena as a joke and there is no character in the game called john cena and i was like john cena there's no one like that here and it's uh, pretty cool and it was just a bit funny seeing that it has got some lighthearted portions actually. So alongside the dark mystery stuff, there is lighthearted stuff like the scenes with Toru Romari and some of the skits as well. And also some of the endings. Like, we've got the case itself, and a lot of the case is actually quite dark and quite serious as it should be. And then once you've actually cracked the case, which you can either, well, work it out yourself or cheat online, one or the other, your solution's the same. It's not like Lost Dimension where the corporate changes each round, each time you play it, so it's basically one killer every time you play, you get all these other endings, and you can unlock 
Um, they've got interesting ones like there's a there's there's the thing. A lot of these endings are like fan disc material, and I arguably feel a little bit disjointed compared to the main experience. Like they feel more like side content, and I can't actually work out if it's canon or not. That's the weird thing about playing it for me. Like I don't know if I should spoil it, but um, there are some routes where like there's a supernatural route. There's a route where after the main game you you and Mari actually start a detective agency and you solve a case which is like really detached from that story. There's also a uh, a fourth wall breaking route and this route's weird. You basically go and then you you go and play again on the TV and it's like oh we can choose either Otto Garisso or Knight of Kamatachi and it breaks the fourth wall because it's literally like. Otto Garizu and Kamatachi Noyoru are the oldest Spike Chunsoft sound VNs. And it's really weird because you go through this ending and it basically, it's like, it's all text-based and you just see written in the original thing. It's so weird. It's basically like you're playing the sound novel. And it's really weird and I like the ending. It's just a little side ending. And I felt like that was probably the best of the optional endings for me that wasn't really like plot-based or anything super relevant to the story because... A lot of the bad endings tended to be in the main story, like usually with someone being killed, which um, was uh, interesting. I did enjoy it, and um, I could, pro I might do a full video on this to be honest, because there's a lot to talk about with this game. It won't take you long. It took about five to seven hours, and I didn't get all the endings. It's up to like 43 endings, but I'm not going for 43 endings. But there's a lot of key ones as well, which. Um, there's no wiki for this version of the game, so I'm. if I remember, I will link a wiki in the description as well as a link to the website with the patch, although you could probably just... Uh, you could buy the game off DMM as well, which uh, you could, and that's we can buy the game, but it does work with the PC version. So I definitely recommend it, especially if you're into uh, visual novels, Spike Chunsoft titles, uh, historically significant video games because the original Kamatachi no Yoru is a historically significant game as it actually helped kick off the golden era of VNs. So things like You Know was influenced by it, Clanad as well, which um, all these games have the foundations built from this golden age and Kamatachi no Yoru kickstarted it. Other games like uh, DocuSay, which actually recently got an official release in English for the first time. Um, Aqua Plus's games as well. Uh, just a lot of influence from that, so that stemmed from it, and I really think it's cool. A uh, few content warnings, uh, lots of blood in it, including some very gory CGs. It actually got rated to 0Z, so it's uh, not definitely not a game you'd want to play if you're really sensitive to that. Murder, violence, death, um, other things as well. I mean, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, it's been a few days as I played it at least. And another thing to remember is the port itself also occasionally crashes. That's not the developer's fault, it was basically mages just basically going like, hmm, here's lovely Xcation 1 and 2. Let's just let's just get this whole Kamatachi no Yoru dumped on it to the point where even people playing the patch and we're actually producing a patch actually found lovely Xcation 1 and 2 files in the patch. And lovely Xcation is another Japanese VN which uh, has no English fan patch. And I don't believe it even has a PC version. Like, it's actually a Vita game. So, why that's on PC is like... Eh? Either way. I'm going to stop for today. Um, any other games I play will probably be LGBT stuff. Like, have dabbled in Far Tomorrow a bit. But I want to finish out before, like, hopefully for the LGBT video. I want to get some more stuff done and get stuff played. And talk about queer stuff for Queer Month. This is going to be fucking rad. Anyway, usual. Like, comment, subscribe. Five-star reviews. Follow me on your podcast platform of choice. 
subscribe my youtube miller's game room uh thank you so much for watching and listening wherever you are in this world bye bye